Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we have a returning guest today, Rosemary Misaccio. Rose, it's great to have you back. You're a member of our Twitter community. You're a regular contributor. Always love to have your voice on here. Uh, it's been a while. I think it's a couple of years since we last interviewed you. So, um, you know, please tell tell us more about Rosemary. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me back on Access Chat. Well, I was born on a military base in Naples, Italy. During delivery, my head was bumped and I developed cerebral palsy. The doctor asked my parents, what do you want to do with her? My parents looked at each other thinking, this guy is crazy. To prove his assumption wrong that I couldn't do anything, I graduated college with a bachelor's in communications, wrote for local Cleveland papers, traveled to Europe numerous times, hang glided, rode horses, and rode motorcycles. Currently, I'm the chief accessibility officer for Rough Global Impact and write blogs. I also do web accessibility reviews for a legal firm in California. In my spare time, I write poetry. Hope to publish my first book this year with the help of Rough Global. I'm also interested in spiritual phenomena and other unexplained things. There's so much out there that we don't know or are afraid to know. That's amazing. And and I'm 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 not poetic. <laughs> uh, although I have read a fair bit of poetry um over the over the years so i look forward to 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 seeing you do that rose um so you mentioned that you you know you're the chief accessibility officer for deborah's firm rue global impact and that you're doing work elsewhere and i know for a fact that you've contributed to the iaap was um body of knowledge and, and so on so how long have you been working in the field I've been in the accessibility field for over 20 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Same here. Yes. And, and, and for our guests, obviously, um, Rosemary is nonverbal and she's using assistive technology to guide her. And um, we pre-recorded, uh, well, we, we, and not pre-recorded, but we put the questions together and then she pre-recorded her, um, her answers. But so my question is, what made you d- decide to become an accessibility tester and consultant? I had no idea I'd be in the accessibility field when I graduated Cleveland State University. I wanted to be a journalist and a public relation writer. In fact, I wrote a monthly column in a local newspaper and some editorials. But that didn't earn me much, so I searched for other opportunities. In 2000, an ad in a disability newsletter jumped out at me about this company called Tech Access, founded by one of our gracious hosts, Deborah, calling for accessibility testers. So I applied and Deborah saw something in me, God knows what, and hired me. Tech Access taught me the basics about accessibility testing. Besides accessibility testing, I also did business development, training programs, and newsletters. Two companies and 15 years later, Deborah wanted me again at her new company, Rough Global Communications, 
which is now run Global Impact. I am still surprised when some clients come to us and don't know a thing about making their websites, software, or products accessible. People, wake up. If you don't make what you offer accessible, you put your business in legal risk and you lose out in a share of over a trillion dollar profit. That's how much persons with disabilities worldwide have in disposable income. And I'll also say that Rosemary has accepted the position as Chief Accessibility Officer for Billion Strong, our new nonprofit. Woo-hoo. And she's she's got a great sense of humor, as you can see. So over to you, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I know from all of the times that you've been on Access Chat and, and seeing you tweet that you're determined to support patients in, in healthcare settings and, and you have some you know, some some strong views about this. Why is this mission so important to you? Rosemary, we have a backup if you need it. Because every once in a while, the every once in a while the tech, technology doesn't want to work. So backup coming. Well, for vision impairments to experience barriers in medical settings as I have. Doctors and nurses are supposed to make patients feel better. This doesn't only involve administering medicine or performing surgeries. It also involves showing compassion and listening to their needs. In fact, studies have shown that effective communication by nonverbal patients can make them recover faster. For instance, patients spend two to three days less in ICU when they can express themselves more effectively. Patients become less frustrated, which lowers blood pressure and stabilizes respiration. Their comfort level also increases since they can communicate if they are not positioned correctly in their hospital beds, for example. So there's the proof that communication impacts healing and recovery. The problem is most medical and nursing schools do not train students how to communicate with diverse patients. Mm. Good point. Good point. Yeah, Yeah, very, very good point. I know you've got a, a... Another question coming up, Deborah, but I, I, I think that there was something I came across recently and, and we had Natalia Cosmina on on Access Chat and, and some of the stuff that they're doing is designed to help nonverbal patients communicate in these settings. So I think that the you know, aside from using AAC and head pointers, the the developments in tech are coming that, that really hold some potential that enable people to communicate. Uh, and we'll have the benefits that you just listed. So I think this is something that we will all uh, hold out hope for. Yeah, I, I, she was an amazing guest. I, I wanted to get definitely connect Rosemary with her because Rosemary is using eye, eye gaze eye technology and head pointer and other technology, but um, she's uh, she's a she loves her technology, so she's always interested in beta testing and, and getting involved in these things. So, um, Rosemary, will you describe some of your experiences during um, your most recent hospital stay? I know it's been a year ago. Mm-hmm. 
There have been numerous instances where I felt subhuman during hospital stays because I could not communicate, and nurses and other medical staff did not have time or patience to try to understand. They also may not have been trained to interact with nonverbal patients. For example, in one hospital stay, the IV came out of my arm, causing my arm to swell up and become blue. I tried to show the nurse by lifting my arm, but he did not get the hint until he actually saw the IV line. Mm. Then he blamed me for moving my arm. Other times I kept yelling because I needed to go to bathroom or I was slipping down the bed. Nurses walked by my room without coming in. When someone would finally come, my eyes would look towards the pillow indicating I wanted it under my head, or I'd point to my pubic area indicating I wanted to urinate. Even then sometimes they could not understand me. Once a nurse came in and told me to shut up after I've been yelling that I needed to use the bedpan. One other example is I'd accidentally press the call button when I was targeting the button to change TV channels. So the nurse removed it from my reach. These incidents show nurses assume I did not know any better or that I just wanted attention. If I could talk, they would not assume this since I could tell them what I need. So true. It is so true, and it's so sad too. So if I um, if I'm using that nurse call button uh, in the wrong way, you're just going to take it away from me, move it out of my way. Amazing, and certainly not doesn't speak very highly of that particular nurse. Um, Rosemary, besides patients who are nonverbal, what barriers do patients with vision, hearing, um, or cognitive um, issues face in medical settings? Patients with cognitive impairment may not know how to express how they feel or what hurts. They may not know some of the medical terms that doctors or nurses tell them. Patients with hearing impairments obviously can't hear what they say. If the hearing impaired individual also cannot verbalize, they may encounter the same barriers that nonverbal patients who can hear face. Patients who are blind or vision impaired can't see if nurses come in their rooms with shots to give them, for example. Common sense dictate that the nurse would describe everything to the blind individual, but that may not happen. Excellent points. Neil? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the communication issues are, are so important and they impact the, the community's efforts to get good care in hospital and, and, and other healthcare situations. And, and we've seen stories like yours uh, and heard about these things in, in, in the UK too, where there have been scandal after scandal of people being um, left to die, essentially, because they're not able to communicate. So how can we improve this? How can we solve these problems? Because it it shouldn't go on like this. Many techniques and tools can facilitate communication between nonverbal patients and hospital staff. Some individuals have voice synthesizers, such as the eye gaze where they activate words and letters by looking on a computer screen by a couple of seconds or blinking. These devices have to be positioned correctly so patients can access them accurately, especially if they are in bed. Family members or caregivers can help set it up. If the patient does not have a communication device or becomes nonverbal during a hospital stay, 
the hospital should have communication devices or iPads with communication apps. For instance, the ICU communicator for iPads. Not only does the app help nonverbal patients, it also helps patients who don't speak English and slash or are hearing impaired. The app has screens showing body parts, pain levels, and needs. Someone may point to the knee image or the phrase I need to use the bathroom on the app screen, for instance. Conversely, if the patient is deaf, a medical provider can point to images of different body parts or pain levels on the app as to ask them basically what's bothering you. Another hospital communication app is Small Talk Intensive Care. It has icons with associated phrases such as I have chest pain or I feel weak. Sometimes patients do not have enough motor control to point to an image or phase on an iPhone or iPad. That's when picture or word boards with the same content for apps may serve better since they have more space for patients to point to. Pre-made boards also are available, such as EasyBoard by the Daytalk, Inc. The EasyBoard has several versions, including ICU and EMS, with specific words and phases for each hospital setting. For instance, the ICU boards include words describing a patient's state, i.e. cold, scared, and desires, i.e. to sit up. ICU boards also include a pain chart that includes words for pain levels, discomfort types, and personal hygiene. Each board also has the alphabet so patients can spell words. Since these boards are inexpensive, hospitals can purchase them to have for each floor unit. Not only are these boards ideal for patients who can't speak or have trouble speaking, medical professionals can point out words slash pictures on these boards to patients who can't hear. They also can write on blackboards for patients who are hearing impaired. Even more primitive but effective communication methods involve deciphering gestures and facial expressions such as repetitive gazes at something, pointing, even frowning. Returning to my IV experience, if the nurse could have figured out that my waving my arm meant, hey, my arm hurts and is becoming swollen, it would not be so bruised up. <laughs> Studies have shown that effective communication by nonverbal patients can make them recover faster. For instance, patients spend two to three days less in ICU when they can express themselves more effectively. Patients become less frustrated, which lowers blood pressure and stabilizes respiration. Their comfort level also increases since they can communicate if they are not positioned correctly in their hospital beds, for example. Yeah, I know that um, whenever my daughter, Sarah, was in the hospital, uh, most of 2018, uh, she, you know, she... She tries to guess what you want her to say. She she tries to be accommodating. And so, you know, when they were saying, what's your pain level? She didn't really understand how to answer that. So, and they had, they told her to look on the chalkboard that was across the room and then it had these tiny little faces, but she couldn't see from across. She couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. So we actually brought her um, a communications board in and, and, and I stayed with her the whole time. And that really goes back to, that goes to our next question. Can patients with disabilities or family members do anything to help prevent communications breakdown between them and the medical staff? And not only did I see that with my daughter, but I saw it with my mom 
who she didn't have a disability until later in life. But when she was in the hospital, Mm -hmm. she had a very serious disability. That's why she was in the hospital. So normally she didn't have communications problems, but during this particular hospital stay, she did. And she was, the treatment she was experiencing, it was terrible. I wound up going to medical uh, leadership about it. I was so upset about it. So Rosemary, what can, what can those around us that love somebody with a disability do? Whether the person has a disability all the time, or maybe they have a temporary disability to support um, their loved ones with disabilities in a hospital situation. Family members or caregivers can make information sheets so their loved ones or clients can take them to the hospital or medical office. These sheets should include personal information, i.e. address, insurance, medicine the patient takes, and allergies. These sheets should also include how the patient communicates. For example, on my information sheet I have I can hear and understand perfectly. So. Please talk with me as an adult in a normal tone of voice. My yes responses are indicated by nodding my head vertically, raising my eyes, or making a sound. My no responses are indicated by shaking my head horizontally or remaining silent. I also communicate with a word board, which is in my backpack on my wheelchair or in the kitchen on the bottom shelf of the radio stand. If a table is available, unfold the board on the table. Keep it folded otherwise. I use the lower knuckle of my right thumb to point to each letter or word. Please, sit on my left side and say the item aloud as I point to it. Guessing what I'm saying saves time and energy. Make sure all departments and shifts see the information sheet. If the patient is admitted in the hospital, the information should not only be put in their chart but also on the wall above their bed. Besides the sheet, patients should bring whatever assistive technology they use whether it be a voice synthesizer or a mobile device with apps, with them. Another thing, back in March 2020, the Office of Civil Rights issued a bulletin basically stating a friend or caregiver can be with patients who have communication needs. So if the hospital says you cannot be with someone with communication needs, tell them you have a right to be there according to the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, very good point. And, and and absolutely, um, if we've got the tech, we ought to bring it with us and the medical professionals need to take the time to read all of the documentation that you bring with you, you know, your personal needs. They're laid out. So if they don't follow them, that's, that's really no good. Um, so given all of the, the issues that you've seen, experienced, and we know that the community experienced, you know, I think it's really important uh, to have leadership uh, around disability inclusion in hospitals. So should um, healthcare providers actually appoint chief accessibility officers to, to lead their efforts to improve how they serve the disability community? Having a chief accessibility officer, COA, is vital for hospitals, clinics, medical offices, and dental offices. If ACOA has a disability, 
it is an advantage because she or he knows from experience what patients with disabilities need to have pleasant hospital stays and quicker discharges. The COA should ensure healthcare providers have trained professionals to interact with patients with disabilities. By trained, I mean knowing nonverbal cues, low-tech and high-tech devices and, most importantly, treating them with compassion and respect. The Accessibility Executive can establish training programs like SPECS2 Communications Training that covers everything from understanding communication needs to implementing communication strategies. In fact, these types of training programs should be mandatory. The COI must make sure patients with other disabilities are treated equally also. For instance, make all patient documents available electronically and accessible for patients who are blind have vision impairments, or have dexterity impairments who have difficulty turning pages. Additionally, the COI has to think about patients who have neurodiversity disabilities, such as autism. Maybe make certain hospital rooms soundproof and softer lighting, not fluorescent. Medical equipment is another area for the COI to consider. A personal aside, a few months ago I had a CAT scan. Since my cerebral palsy makes my body move involuntarily sometimes, the X-Rat tech literally taped my body, including my neck, down to the table. I was suffocating as I went through the narrow tube. So hospitals and medical centers must invest in open scanning machines where patients sit down in a small room and the machine scans them. Of course, the room has to be wheelchair accessible. Same goes for mammography machines. They have to be wheelchair accessible. Someday some brilliant engineer will invent the mammography bra. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, fit and scan. So uh, thank you. You know, um, that's, a, I think, really a, a, an important set of points that you made about how healthcare organizations need to be considering the needs of patients. Um, do you have any final thoughts before before we close, Rosemary? I'm, I'm sure you have. I'll just wait for the tech. Medical facilities can provide all the training to their medical staff, have the assistive technology to facilitate communication with patients with disabilities. But if they don't show compassion in patients, it still would affect the interaction between medical professionals and patients, even if they don't have disabilities. One of the reasons doctors, nurses, and medical technicians don't show these things is that hospitals are understaffed. The general ratio is one nurse to every five patients. Now, with COVID, the ratio may be one to eight. Nurses can't take time to understand the patient with communication needs if she has four other patients to see. Doctors are worse because their time is dictated by insurance. The medical profession has to undergo humanization. We just have to continue to speak up. When hospitals send you surveys, fill it out. Let them know what they do wrong and right. Write to hospital administrators and ombudsmen. Collective voices will be heard. Final words. Thanks so much for having me on Access Chat. It has been great being with all of you all again.
I hope a lot of medical professionals have listened to our discussion. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And I I will share this with, with as many people as I can, because I think it's really important that, that, that this gets shared. Uh, I, I know that you'll and we want to thank David and also, gosh, I've done it wrong. I'm so bad. Richard, for helping you out. Richard, oh. particularly in the background, um, uh, who has been giving some technical support. <laughs> uh, I was reading the script. But, uh, yeah, Richard's been giving some technical support in the background and <laughs> making sure that your voice gets heard. So I'll, I'll mangle my words. I'll mix my... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and also say thank you to our sponsors who aren't Coca-Cola. They're actually um, Barclays Access. They are MyClearText and Microlink. So thank you to them, too, for making sure that everyone's voices get heard. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Rosemary. We so appreciate you. And, and, and Rosemary is such a great example of just because she doesn't speak in the traditional manner doesn't mean that she's not brilliant. So let's stop assuming people can't participate in society because society is disabling us. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, Rosemary. And thank you, Neil. Thank you. Bye, everyone.